This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. BFM 89.9, I'm Philip C and welcome to The Breakfast Grill. Now on today's Breakfast Grill, we are in conversation with Daniel Rupert, Group CEO at Sandania Innovator Berhad. They are a public listed technology company in Malaysia providing sustainable energy solutions and healthcare products. I was trying to get a sense of what Sadania Innovator does. You know, if you look at the website, you know, you make the point that as a strategic investor, you combine mm. technology, te- technical expertise with international partners and capital to provide sustainability in mm. energy and healthcare. It's a very stark contrast to where Sadania first started off, right? That's as true. a telco business. Yep. Tell me the story of how you've evolved and decide to focus on these two core segments. We started off, as a, as you said, as a technology company. When we listed in 2015, we were focusing pretty much on the telco tech space. We had a platform um, that was enabling uh, prepaid card users to exchange credit from one prepaid card to another prepaid card. So it was like a, like a P2P uh, transfer system uh, for airtime credit. So that was doing really great at the time. Um, that was our IPO story. And then, of course, during the years after that, we, we diversified into other technology areas. Um, but the since I joined, which was in about 2018, um, I realized that we we were at, at, at the heart real, real technology people, right? So we, we're trying to develop new platforms, new ideas, and then trying to find the markets and clients for it. Um, that kind of led to the fact that we were quite... Um, quite active in a few areas mm. without having a, a more clear mission of what we actually want to achieve with the technology. So I wanted to to find a common theme. So we realized that actually everything we do is um, helping people to improve their lives. Um, and we used that theme and, and elaborated on that. Um, and now we are having a more clearer mission, which is basically to help others reduce their carbon footprint. Yeah, so there has been that pivot. Was this a realization that the telco business, that the technology telco business you got into was a reducing business? Because if you look at the numbers, really, it's such a small proportion of the business now, less than a million revenue in a quarter, mm. and even significant losses generated for that portfolio. What what was the decision point to say, okay, I needed to get into uh, energy transition, right? At what point was it clear to you that you had to do this? I think it was just a natural development. We started off as an investor into green tech projects uh, and we realized that uh, there is actually a lot to do for us in the market, not just as an investor, but also as an active project manager. So we started to build our own expertise internally. We built up our own team and became an active uh, provider or enabler of um, uh, energy saving uh, and uh, carbon emission reducing uh, solutions for for our clients, so um, and that po- became bigger and bigger. Now, and if you look at terms of revenue, uh, the energy business together with our sustainable healthcare business is now doing about ninety percent of our revenue. So the other businesses just became, even though they are not really 
uh, going away, but of course it became smaller in relation to our other core businesses. That's the interesting thing because I think there's, there's so much confusion in the market about what you actually do. If you look at the portfolio of businesses, it's so broad. You have sustainable energy, you've got healthcare, you've got the you know fintech solutions, you've got telco tech, you even got into the esports business. Are you worried that investors are confused, that the portfolio is broad, and there are not any links or synergies that connect all these very disparate businesses then? I think that story has changed. And maybe it was like this a few years ago, but uh, if you look at our annual report and our numbers, as I said, 90% are coming now from our two core businesses, healthcare and energy, and they both have the common goal of reducing carbon emissions. So uh, energy does it for the companies and uh, our offspring company does it for consumers. So the story is now a lot more streamlined than it used to be. Yeah, it's very interesting because if I look at the stock price, it's been languishing prior to 2021, 20, 30 cents. Then it hit its peak at about $1.20. And since then, it's been on this significant decline uh, at close to about 30 to 40 cents. But still, the P-E ratio is still very high. So there's some expectation that there's a lot more legs to growth. Where is that growth going to be? Well, obviously, we are, as I said, an ESG enabler. So we are riding on the ESG wave. There there are two developments that are pushing the, you know, our ESG move. One is on the voluntary side. So a lot of companies are voluntarily looking at how can I uh, reduce my carbon footprint. And of course, then you have the mandatory guidelines coming in on, Mm. especially on energy, uh, probably within the next 18 months. So that will be another push that is driving uh, our market. Yeah, if you break down your revenue numbers, it's still very much uh, healthcare driven, the sustainable healthcare driven, but it's driven by your acquisition of uh, offspring, isn't yeah, it? That's yeah. driving most of the top line revenue. For this year. For this year, the energy business is still relatively small. What kind of growth numbers are you expecting to deliver for the energy business then? Um, we're quite optimistic. I mean, last year we made a, um, ten, about 10 million profits and half of that was from the energy and the other half was uh, uh, was from the healthcare business. Uh, for this year, yes, we, we um, our healthcare business is is growing great. Um, our uh, energy business is a bit less. That's just because we have put all our resources on on a few core projects. And if um, we don't complete those projects, we can't recognize the revenue. Mm. So, you know, it's not that we have not done any work this year. In fact, we have done a lot of work, but you can only see it on the numbers when actually we complete the site. Uh, That's one of the challenges, right, with the volatility of doing large projects. You will not get a clear, steady stream of revenue. That is a bit of concern, isn't it, when you plump your eggs all on just a few baskets? As a listed company who are uh, releasing quarterly reports and, of course, having a lot of retail investors who are looking at quarterly Mm. reports all the time, yes, that is uh, not ideal, right? Because many of our projects, uh, even though they're large in contract value, but they only come in once you recognize the site. So there is a certain volatility. So the concern was that during the pandemic, understandably, many projects were deferred. With the reopening in place, you would have seen that backlog being progressively cleared, which you see in the 2021 numbers. The Concern then is why isn't it 2022, you know, has not built that momentum of 2021, right? And how can we make sure that you build it to a scale that, you know, that you're not beholden to these lumpy one-off projects? It's true. We, of course, our energy business is relying on um, physical access to the buildings. Yeah, so last year we did suffer, of course, from not having physical access to the sites. Mm-hmm. Our energy business is relying on that. Uh, this year, uh, one of our largest projects, of course, they still have, they suffer from a backlog. 
that that causes some delays this year. Uh, it's not a lost project. It just means that uh, the revenue recognition will come in a bit saving. And what's distinctive for you then? You know, how do you differentiate yourselves? Because when you look at your website, you offer a whole range of solutions. You offer these zero capex solutions coming through. What is biting? What do corporates and businesses like now in your energy solutions? And what type of consumers are they buying? Are they the larger corporates like the GLCs that are very interested in it, but the smaller MNCs, the smaller startups, they're still not confident to take on these kind of solutions? Yeah, good question, Philip. Um, let me start with the first part of the question. Um, how are we different? Right? Um, there are, of course, a lot of competitors out there all trying to sell energy-saving solutions. Yeah. Um, we are not coming from the product side. We are basically coming more from an investor point of view. That means we're looking at buildings or, or factories holistically. We don't look at this one particular technology that can maybe give you 10% saving in, in chill water system or you know 5% saving from, from lights or something. We look at the whole building. We come up with usually five different technologies, and they can, they can come from around the world. And then we finance them. We invest in them. So that means we make the call if this will give us a return or not. You as the client, um, you can be rest assured that you, A, are getting the best complementary system of different technologies and therefore the highest uh, energy saving rate. And, it, and it's, uh, you can see it in our, in our track record. I mean, so far, I don't see any other company, ESCO company, achieving the energy saving rates that we are achieving, mm. which are from 25 to 35%. Which then leads to the question about margins for this business particularly. Do you see margin compression taking place as more players come into the market, as you start seeing solutions come through and customers are more aware of what's available out there in the market? What oh, kind yeah. of margins are you seeing? Because if you look at the numbers financially, as you say, right, it's so volatile, the numbers, you don't get a sense what the margins look like. Uh, the volatility is not on the margins. Uh, it's more about, as I mentioned, on the volumes. competing projects. Yeah. Right? The um, sequencing of the projects, that's your challenge. Correct, yeah. I mean, if you have a lot of smaller projects, it would be a lot more consistent. But because we have large projects, there can be a time where we don't complete. We and work will you on change them. that strategy to shift away to smaller or will you still yeah, yeah. come down? We are diversifying quite a bit at the moment. Uh, trying to go into what well, we started this year to go into solar as well. Yeah. Um, so we we have a lot. Our pipeline is quite full um, with a lot of mid-sized to smaller projects as well. So we are hoping to have a more consistent flow going forward. Uh, coming back to your second questions on the margins, the margins are are good. Uh, obviously, we are in more focusing on energy saving because that is a more complex, a more complicated uh, topic technically. Uh, when it comes to solar, the margins, yes, there is a there's a, uh, more competition. So the margins are becoming smaller on solar. So as we go back to history, when we talk about you coming in and leading the organization in 2018, mm. for fast forward four years onwards, how did you build capabilities to, to be able to offer these solutions to the larger corporates? I mean, you couldn't have done it alone. You probably had to buy expertise. You probably had to build deeper partnerships, isn't it? And is the worry that in the end, you're just a distributor of all these solutions that you don't really have any inbuilt capabilities within the organization? Because there was a clear, clear reality check that, you know, the current core business in which you did the IPO wasn't yeah. going to cut it. You needed to reposition. But how do you embed the capabilities in the organization on a sustainable level so that you don't rely on external partners moving forward? There are three components that make um, uh, that make us successful, or I think the industry in general. One is you have, you have to have access to capital, 
Right? Mm -hmm. uh, most of our projects, either in renewable energy or on energy saving, are all uh, a balance sheet game. Right? So you need access to capital, which we have as a listed company. Then the second part is you need expertise. So I'm a strong believer in people. Uh, energy saving is, as I mentioned, technically more complicated than, for example, building rooftop solar. You need to have uh, people who have done this before, who know the niche segments within, because every building, every factory has a different load profile, right? They, they have different requirements. So you need to have experts in the team who understand how to convert the, the proposition that we give to the client into a good business model. But then the third component is if, if actually equally important is about a large network of, of uh, experts outside. Mm. Because there is not a single solution that is always the same. And many of our projects are, uh, require some niche expertise. So we have about 20 to 30 people outside the company, principals, um, technology experts, um, electrical auditors, who will help us, um, who can come in. We pull them in uh, for certain projects and they either provide us the technologies or the expertise that is required. On The Breakfast Grill, I'm in conversation with Daniel Rupert, Group CEO at Sedania Innovator Berhad. Up next, deep diving further into their portfolio. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Welcome back on The Breakfast Grill. We have with us Daniel Rupert, CEO at Sedania Innovator Berhad. And he's in hot seat as we discuss their portfolio of businesses that cover the whole gamut of sustainability. You know, Daniel, we just had a relatively detailed conversation about your energy business. Now, in the past two years, you have been very busy, I think, making many acquisitions. And one, notably, one notable one was in November 2020, where you actually bought a stake in Offspring, which is, I think, entering into the sustainable healthcare business. Tell yeah. us a bit about the logic and rationale behind this acquisition. We see ourselves as an investor uh, in projects or businesses which have a direct impact on CO2 reduction. So with energy, we are covering pretty much the, the, the company side. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at what contributes to CO2, you have uh, uh, energy as the second largest contributor to CO2 in Malaysia. And uh, the third largest is actually waste and landfills. And if you look at what goes into landfills, you find that in the top three segments of, of waste categories, you actually have so-called preventive healthcare items, mm. diapers, baby wipes, and so on. So we looked at, okay, how can we cover the consumer side and help consumers to reduce their carbon footprint? So that's why we, we looked at um, uh, those kind of waste items and we found uh, a brand and a company who, who is doing exactly that. They, they have uh, diapers and baby wipes uh, and uh, now in total about 170 SKUs, all focusing on biodegradable and eco-friendly material. And that was for us the hook, uh, especially if you look at our baby wipes. Our baby wipes are 28 days biodegradable. Mm. And uh, right now you have over 3 billion baby wipes going to landfills every year, just in Malaysia alone. So that makes a big difference. Yeah, it makes a big difference. And I, when I hear your logic here, it really sounds like you are trying to pivot the portfolio towards a sustainability-driven, a carbon footprint reduction portfolio. They may not necessarily be interconnected like the solutions you talk about energy for the Correct. buildings versus the consumer business here. But the play is that you want to basically have a clear mandate that it's driven by one key criteria, which is you know CO2 reduction then. What's next after energy and healthcare for your view? 
well, I think the first mandate is already quite large. That's going to keep us busy for the next at least 10 years, right? As you know, um, we Malaysia and the whole world has a, a, a net zero target, uh, which we all need to achieve. Uh, we are still far away from it, uh, and there's still a lot of opportunities coming up. We're looking at green mobility. We're looking at uh, carbon trading and exchanges. So there is uh, still a lot of sub-segments within those markets which are coming up right now and uh, are offering a lot of opportunities, which we are all looking at. Um, where are we going beyond ESG? I think that is a bit too much long-term, um, mm. I, I wouldn't say. But do you think there are expansions between um, perhaps the horizontals of energy solutions and healthcare that you would expand on? Mm. Like, for example, in the energy solution space, would you go further down the line in offering other kinds of energy solutions? Yeah. Or even within the healthcare space of products, would you branch out into services? Would that be how you consider that you expand within these two core pillars? Or would you add a third or fourth? you know, sustainability-driven pillar in the next few years ahead? I think it's more the, the first, as you mentioned. So we are looking at more sub-segments uh, within energy and also within sustainable healthcare. Um, as I said, on the energy side, you have EV charging coming up, right? So that is going to be a, a big growth market alone. Uh, green mobility in the next five years will be a, a major uh, driver in the market. Uh, on the healthcare side, um, we are looking at expanding our product range, uh, with more SKUs. Uh, we are looking even at adding brands. Uh, so we not just have offspring, but also potentially other brands. Mm. Um, and of course, we are looking at the geographic expansion, right? So when we took over offspring, I think we were about six countries. Uh, today, we are exporting to over 23 countries. Um, and there is still a lot of markets, geographic markets that we have not tapped into, which we are targeting for the next two years. And as you say, right, these two core businesses alone already account for 90% of your top line yeah. number. But, you know, if you hear what what's comes out in the market, there's so much conversation about the digital solutions you offer to banks. Mm. Uh, in 2019 also, you have made an investment in esports. Yeah. So from an outsider layman point of view, they will look at the portfolio, scratch their head and think, hmm, where are the connective tissues between these different uh, businesses? And perhaps there isn't one, which is fine if you treat each one as a portfolio by its own. But I guess the central question then will be, how does one allocate capital, you know, when they decide, okay, this is one core business to put your money in and to expand further? How does the group as a whole organize themselves in capital allocation then? Yeah, good question, Philip. Um, our energy business is, of course, as I mentioned, is a capital game. Um, when it comes to sustainable healthcare, it's um, it's not so much capital intensive, except maybe working capital, you know, and by 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 expanding. Um, our fintech company, for example, is purely transaction driven. Yeah, it's more a software company, um, so we don't have much capex. We we develop our own platforms. Um, we have now uh, a platform called Acidic, which is being used by over 75 financial institutions in Malaysia. Uh, we have now partners which help us to go uh, into the Middle East and also into Turkey. Um, so that one doesn't require capital, and that gives us the the required diversification when it comes to business models. Mm. So you know, one is project based, the other one is transaction based. Yeah, so this is, I think, it feels very much like um, when you organize yourself as well, you have these core businesses, right, where you have your respective teams that are very focused on delivering their respective businesses, right? There are not many, I would say, shared functions or cross-functional roles that take place between the different businesses. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, mostly that's correct. I mean, we do have some technology overlap. As I mentioned, at, at the heart, we are still a technology company. We have tech people. 
so even within energy, for example, we have developed our own products which help us to monitor energy at our clients, right? So the dashboard and the, the software that is being built for that, you know, we, we can leverage on our our teams internally. Mm, and then that's why for me, when you, when you look at the, the collection of businesses that you have, some are B2C like Offspring, some are B2B, for example, mm. like uh, the energy solutions business and even the digital part. I guess everyone is very much looking at the digital banking solutions that you offer yeah. in view that the five licenses are, licenses are coming out there. And if correct me if I'm wrong, Sudania actually provides solutions for two to three of those uh, banking operators. Yeah. And you're probably not the front face of that, but at the back end, right, as you see this expand, how much do you expect the digital banking solutions to contribute to the business top line, bottom line? Because at the moment, it still feels very small. It's a decent margin, I have to say, but relatively small in terms of contribution. Do you expect that the contribution of the fintech business to expand over a period of time or will sustainability retain its 90% domination in terms of its top line share? Uh, of course, it has an impact. I think the digital banks, um, as, you, as you mentioned, two of our clients are in, in those consortiums. Um, when they kick off, um, I'm sure we will see an increase in, in the usage of our platforms. Mm. Um, I think we will. We have a few different programs under our fintech. Uh, we have, of course, our Tawarok business, the acidic platform. Uh, we also have a GoHalal program. Now we're also doing a lot of uh, projects uh, with regards to software development, customized for particular uh, financial institutions. Um, so there is a, already a mix of, of different uh, income or business models within fintech. Will it grow in tandem with the the growth of digital banks? Uh, I would say so. Uh, um, of course, we are not a consumer uh, fintech business. That means mm -hmm. we are not linked directly, as we said, to the front, uh, to the consumers. But uh, at the back end, we are now connected to uh, quite a few of our banks and financial institutions in Malaysia. So any increase on their side will, of course, be an increase on our side as well. What I think is very interesting is that when I hear you, right, you enter many very exciting spaces, to be very honest. Digital banking is definitely a very exciting space. Um, entering into the ESG format is very exciting per se. The challenge is to make sure whether you are riding the curve or whether you are just uh, being ahead of the curve, right? That's the debate. When do you decide how do you basically write these trends when you think about, for example, your energy and healthcare solutions? At what point do you say, I want to take a leadership role or fast learner solution? Hmm. Yeah, it's not always good to be a pioneer. Um, for example, when you know uh, the digital, digital bank discussion came up, um, we also talked about if we should apply, um, but we decided, no, I think in this case, it might not be good to be a pioneer. Um, I think there will be um, a, a high level of compliance uh, on the on the players. Uh, it will be a uh, a tough margin business in the beginning. So uh, we decided to be more a a player in the back, um, riding on the wave, but more as a uh, from the back rather than being in the front. On our other businesses, uh, when it comes to ESG, of course we have to be in the front. Um, we are always looking for the newest technologies that gives us the extra edge in terms of another 1% or 2% savings for our client. So on that one, uh, it is fine to be in the front because that actually is the 
the the way we can distinguish ourselves to our competitors. So many opportunities. Does this form as a distraction then to make you lose focus? Because it's always been the core central problem, right? With many perceptions of Sudania Innovator that it's brought in experience but doesn't have the core focus. If you, How do you decide it, then what do you focus on despite the fact that so many opportunities come your way? If you take them up. Yes, if yeah. you take up too many other opportunities, then I agree with you, then you maybe lose your focus. Uh, and that's exactly what we, we need to decide on. We need to s- decide on uh, what are the areas we want to stay um, or ha- keep our focus on. Mm. That's all the time we have for today on The Breakfast Grill. Daniel Rupert, Group CEO at Sedania Innovator Burhat. I'm Philip C, BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.